Well, kind of to follow up on what Brother Bud just said, is that last summer we were going through a series on Wednesday nights about beliefs important to Baptists. And I went through all of them pretty thoroughly, and I didn't notice one that said, as Baptists, we're not allowed to clap and make a joyful noise to the Lord. So I just wanted to support you there, Brother Bud. You are correct. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. And I pray, Lord, that through the lips of a broken man, uh, that is myself, that uh, your spirit would guide and direct my thoughts and my heart and my words, that they would go forth from me, not being mine, but being yours, and that they would land in the ears and the hearts of those who are seated here today, who are dialed in and listening, that have decided that the way that they're living their life is like that sheep with the bucket on their head, that we make silly decisions and we do foolish things, God, but when we follow you and we allow you to be our shepherd, great things happen, Lord. That we go from being fools to being wise. Uh, we go from being dead to being alive. And so I pray today, Lord, that your word would land on fertile soil, that it would penetrate deep into our hearts, that it would manifest in our behaviors, and that we would produce an abundant harvest 30, 60, a hundred times that which is sown, and that we would do it all for your glory. And we pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew, and even last week we were celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, was I the only one who was excited about that? I was pretty excited. We were going, we got up to Matthew chapter 5, and then we kind of did the spoiler alert. So if you're a new Christian and you didn't know, maybe you're not even a Christian yet, and we were only on chapter 5 of Matthew, and then we fast-forwarded to the end, and then you found out Jesus is crucified, died, was buried, and He was raised on the third day. It happened. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we are back in the Gospel of Matthew, and we are still in chapter 5. And we will be in verses 38 to 42 today. You see the slide up here, it has, Go the second mile, Matthew 5, 38 to 42, and there's some spray paint on there, crossing out mile 2, some graffiti. And it says, Don't go the second mile. I posted that out on social media. I didn't get any negative responses. I didn't get anyone that questioned why it was out there. And that really kind of makes me wonder. Kind of makes me wonder, like, Pastor, are you kind of going off the rails a little bit? That you're taking some liberty with God's Word? Or maybe y'all just trust me so much that you know me so well that you just know that I'm going to reel it back in. And I hope the latter of those two is, is the reality. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. And I just wanted to ask y'all on the front end, if Jesus came and we had to stand in court today or tomorrow, is there evidence from the actions within your life that would convict you in a court of law? Would your phone records reveal? If there was a CSI team, an investigative team that went into your life and started turning everything upside down, and they looked at your phone records, what would they reveal? What about your credit card receipts and the way that you spend your money, your bank account? What about the testimony, and this is a very difficult one, of our neighbors? 
of our co-workers, of our friends, of our family, people within the community, that we can maybe put on a good face here on Sunday, and then when we go back out into the community for the rest of the week, there's not a single shred of evidence that would convict us of being a Christian. See, last week, as we were reading from Matthew's Gospel, that angel came down, he rolled away the tomb, the two women came forward, and he said to them, Fear not. Fear not. And I put a slide up there last week that said, Warning, this may not apply to you. See, if you're not someone who's living the way that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary lived their lives, pursuing hard after Jesus, then maybe, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, maybe fear not doesn't apply to you. We said towards the end of the sermon that it's supposed to be lived out with our lives and not just our lips. So we've been in this Equip series. We started off in chapter 1, and I'm not going to go through all of the old sermons, so you don't have to worry about that today. But in chapter 1, Jesus comes as the new Genesis, right? The first two words of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is the new Genesis. See, we don't just simply need an infinite number of resets in our lives. We don't. I used to work for a guy years ago, and he said, you know, from time to time, we all just need to reinvent ourselves. But see, Scripture tells us that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All of our righteousness, all of the things that we would present to God and say, this is my righteousness, God, apart from you, that it amounts to filthy rags. There's a much more in-depth and explicit uh, translation of that passage of Scripture that I'll leave out for now. But that's what we bring forth to God. And I just wonder, if Jesus really is the new Genesis, is that the way that we're living our lives? Do we simply want to use Jesus as the infinite reset button like a little kid learning how to play a video game? Or is Jesus the new Genesis in our lives? And all of the old stuff is gone, that we've been made new, that we've been born again, and that we're pursuing hard after Him. I wonder. See, these magi traveled. Jesus identified in chapter 3. Jesus defeated Satan. And as the story goes on, Jesus called His disciples. In chapter 4, He called... Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he said to Peter and Andrew in verse 19 of chapter 4, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, you're going to do something new with your lives. He used it in a context that explained to them in language that they understood. If I'm going to talk to a fisherman, I'm going to speak to that fisherman in a language they can understand. You understand what it is to fish. You throw your net out, you make a big catch, and then you reel it in. I want you to do that with people. See, if you're going to follow me, that's what it looks like. It doesn't just simply mean that you go home, that you're selfish, that you live your life for you, that we're the selfie generation. Everything's about me. I am the center of the known universe. And I just wonder, 
Is there evidence that would convict us to the contrary? That's the work. The work is to be a fisher of men. And then Jesus taught in that next section of chapter 4. Jesus taught and He preached and He healed. And He went into the section of the Beatitudes and He said to the disciples, these four that He pulled off to the side, and He said, blessed! We call that section the Beatitudes because over and over and over again, Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are gentle, who are hungry. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And see, Jesus' point in that whole section is we are truly blessed when we function as God intended. Especially, especially, especially in the face of of persecution. See, we in our country, in the United States, where we think we've got it so bad, is one of the wealthiest nations in the entire world. We think we've got it so bad. Is we think that we face persecution. And we don't. We don't face persecution. We don't really face persecution at all. Not like people in China, and in India, and in Pakistan and in certain countries in the Far East and the Middle East, where it's like just to be known as a Christian means that you lose your life. They'll take you somewhere and they'll chop your head off or they'll throw you in prison in a dark hole and you're completely forgotten about for the rest of your life. See, we've got it kind of easy. And we walk around... And because we don't face persecution on a moment-to-moment basis... Christianity just kind of falls into the background. And the things that are the most important in our lives are careers and our kids' soccer games and piano practice, that those become the things that we labor about, that we stress about. Oh, is Johnny or Susie going to make it to the state team? Are they going to make it to varsity? And in the grand scheme of things, folks, I know I'm, I'm going to burst some bubbles, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you get the promotion. It doesn't matter if Johnny or Susie makes it on that special team. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we function as God intended, especially, especially in the face of persecution. And then see, Jesus said, and later in chapter 5, in verse 17, He said, Don't assume... And he said that because as those sheep with the buckets on their heads, that can I be really just quite honest and frank and transparent, is that we're idiots. We, I'm saying we, that's self-included. We're idiots. Is that we miss the simple commands of structure. Jesus says, do A, and we do B, C, D, G, E, F, all the way to Z, but we never do A. And then we reinvent what Jesus said, we reinvent the context, and we say, well, that doesn't really apply anymore. What Jesus really meant was this. And we bend over backwards to prove to ourselves that the things that Jesus said don't really apply. And Jesus started off this section saying, don't assume. Don't assume, because if you do, if you make a bunch of assumptions... 
The point that Jesus got to in verse 20 said is that you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because if you make assumptions, what you're doing is the exact same thing that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the religious leaders do. That's what they do, is they make assumptions. We've got Abraham as our father. We're good. Add to the list of assumptions that we make. We have countless number of denominations that allow us, hey, let's just find one that suits me. And in Scripture it says that in those later times that what we're going to do is we're going to surround ourselves with pastors and teachers. They're going to tell us what we want to hear. They're going to tickle our ears. That's why I love it when people come up to me after the service on Sunday and they say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes again. And I say, well, thank you for telling me because that means I was preaching the word. When people come up to me and they say, Pastor, that was a dandy sermon, I ask them, what does it really mean? What does it really mean that it was a dandy sermon? Does it mean that you got fired up and excited about it? That you felt like I was patting you on the back? Because that's not what I was doing. The way it turns out to be a, a dandy sermon is that you go forth from this place out into the world and you fish for people. And you bring them into the kingdom of God from death to life. That's what makes it a dandy sermon. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of all of those religious leaders, all of those people who think they had it, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we say, well, Jesus didn't really mean that to me. He didn't really mean that because what I heard from a, a pastor one day is that if I, I prayed a specific prayer and if I said, I give my life to Jesus, then I'm in heaven. The cross, my debt is paid, I'm good, right? And that's not what Jesus has to say. Jesus goes on in verse 21. You heard, you've heard it said... Y'all ever think about that? You've heard it said. You've heard it said. I think the, the inference for our audience today is a little bit different because I don't know that everyone in those times was walking around with a scroll or a book of the Old Testament. So a lot of them had to depend on hearing it. But that's not the case today. If you're someone walking around and you say, well, I've heard... Who cares what you heard? Who cares what I have to say? If you're banking your eternal security, your eternal destination to be in heaven or in the fires of hell for all eternity, I would think that you would want to go into this book and you would want to find out for yourself what does it actually say. See, because when you get to heaven, you can't say to Jesus, well, Pastor Kevin said... It's not going to work like that. Well, Jesus said, you've heard, don't murder. You heard that, right? Don't murder. You've heard, don't commit adultery, right? You've heard, whoever divorces their spouse, you've heard that, right? You've heard, don't break. Don't break it. Don't break your oaths. Don't say something and then go back on your word. Don't break your word. You've heard that said. 
You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. You've heard that said, right? You've heard. And then Jesus says, however, however, I say. However, I say. So that brings us up to where we're going to read today's scripture. Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 42. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, things get really nasty. Things get really crazy at this point because what we do is we take the simplicity of what Jesus said and we try to extrapolate it out. We try to apply it outside of the context. Well, does that mean that I'm supposed to give to the homeless guy on the corner who's sitting there with his cardboard sign that says, we'll work for food or please help. But just around the corner, he's got the brand new Escalade. Am I supposed to give to him? Because if I go in and I read this, it says, Give to the one who asks, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Hey, everybody, look up here for a second. Look up here for just a second. We're sheep, right? You can't walk around with a bucket on your head. Jesus isn't saying to walk around like a fool and to not use discernment and wisdom in the way that you live your life. In a very specific sense, Jesus is addressing us right here. See, the problem is, is that we fail miserably at the things truly important to God. We fail miserably at the things that are truly important to God. And then when we get into these situations, when I was uh, doing mission work over in Ghana, Africa, and we would sit down and we would teach the students over there and you would share a principle with them. They would go into this endless string of what ifs. But what about this scenario? You miss the principle because if you understand the underlying principle, then you're going to be able to extrapolate it out into every situation. But Pastor, Pastor Kevin, what about this situation? Is it okay if we sell holy water in our church? Well, why are you selling holy water in your church? If it's just to benefit monetarily, or if it's to bamboozle someone that you're sitting there in the back filling it up from the spigot, and then you're putting a label on there that it's some kind of magical cure for everything that ails, as opposed to praying with and for them, then yeah, it's a problem. And we go into these endless debates. And I said, stop. But see, we do the same thing in our lives. As we sit there and we take things that Jesus didn't intend for them to mean, and we apply them there. And we take things that Jesus did intend for them to mean, and we don't apply them there. See, we take that spray paint and we cross out mile two. Jesus didn't really 
mean for me to go the second mile. Really? I think he did. See, here's that Isaiah 64, 6 passage. And if you have a child with you, or you're very sensitive, you may not want to read this thing, because this is the literal meaning of that passage. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteous acts are like a filthy, stained menstrual rag. And if that offends you, take it up with God. I, this isn't my interpretation. This is His Word. Well, Pastor, you could have dialed it down a little bit. You could have phrased it a different way. I could have, but what Jesus says in and through the Word is that that's what we bring forth. That we present these things to God and say, look at this wonderful thing that I did. And what He's saying is that it's a stinky, nasty, filthy rag. Here's another good one. Great passage from Proverbs 26.11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. I just love God's Word. See, because we can dance around and we can look at the pretty parts and we can ignore the other stuff, but God says, stop acting a fool. Because when you do, you're like that dog that goes out there and eats the wrong, nasty stuff and then they hurl it up, and then the dog's bright idea is, is that made me sick. I had to vomit it out because my body rejected it, but now I'm going to go over and I'm going to consume it again. Maybe on the second, third, fourth, or tenth attempt, maybe that stuff that I'm looking at on the computer, maybe it's not going to be repulsive to my wife. Maybe she's going to be okay with it. Maybe infidelity is something that, you know, it's going to catch on. Maybe we'll join a swingers group or something. You know, it'll, it'll be okay. No, it's sin. It's vomit. Stop going back to it. And see, each and every one of us has something in our lives that we continue to go back to over and over and over again. See, Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It says that in Scripture. It says it. But see, we take the wrong application. We take the wrong application and what we do as individuals is what we start to do is say, I deserve it. I deserve revenge. I deserve some kind of oh, payback for what somebody's done to me. If you get slapped on the cheek, is it really the end of the day if somebody embarrasses you? If someone shames you a little bit, that's what that is. See, because if it really meant that somebody leans back from Minnesota and slugs you in the face, then Jesus would be a liar. Because when He went to the cross as He was going, He was punched in the face and He opened His mouth and He didn't turn the other cheek. See, he's not talking about that. So you as a Christian, if you have somebody that you work with and somebody has really done you wrong, somebody has completely undermined you at work, and then they walk up and they say, Hey, Brian, aren't you just supposed to turn the other cheek? You can say, No, you're a fool because you don't understand Scripture. You're a fool because you don't understand Scripture, and you take things in bits and pieces, and you cut and paste your own theology. 
See, but as Christians, if we get insulted a little bit, if we take a little slap on the cheek, what Jesus is saying by turn the other one, maybe it's literal, but maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe it's a word picture that allows us to see that maybe the things that really bother us the most, that maybe they're just not a big deal. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, of Jesus coming to earth, going to a cross, torn and bloodied, and when your neighbor posts something on Facebook or on some sort of social media, that you get all bent out of shape about it, and you got to oh, stay awake at night, and it's something that just, oh, it just fans the flames of the fire. And we get all bent out of shape about it. And it's an opportunity that we get to turn the other cheek and say, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, does anyone in here just have a single shirt? Raise your hand, please. Does anyone have just one shirt? That was the case here as well. Oftentimes you had more than one undergarment. And what Jesus said is that if someone wants to take something that's not really that big of a deal, I'm not going to go up to someone and say, hey, why don't you give me the keys to your house? Because the Bible says, give to the person who asks, right? And if you're really a Christian, then you should give me the keys to your house. And if you have a real problem and you struggle with that, let's talk afterwards. But that's nonsense. See, we've got to take it in context. What Jesus says is give them your outer garment as well. And most of us don't have that many outer garments. I've got one jacket. And what Jesus is saying, you know what? It's really going to be okay. Go ahead and give them your shirt because you probably got another one. And you've got an outer garment. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead. And if you just trust in me, I'm going to make sure that you're not going to die of cold. That the elements aren't going to be the end of you today. So when that petty person who wants to make something out of nothing, go ahead and give in to that person and demonstrate love. That's what Jesus wants us to do. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. See, in those days, the Roman soldiers, they could come along and they could ask anyone that they wanted to. They could say, hey Lavelle, I need you to come over here and pick up my stuff. And you were required to carry their stuff a mile by Roman law. You had to do it. Indentured servitude. And what Jesus is saying here is that instead of bemoaning and complaining and oh, like asking a teenager to pick up their room, oh, the humanity of it all. Really? To pick up your nasty stuff in your room? To, to do that is really going to be the end of the world, but somehow, when it's the things that you want to do, Mom, Dad, and the, the little sweet face comes out and the hearts are popping over their head, would, would it be okay if I, I went over to Susie's house? No, it's not okay. Get back in your room and clean it like I asked you to do. Unless you're one of those parents that says, okay, well, I'm going to count to three and it better get done. Okay, well, next time, well... Uh, I guess so. Just, I want you to remember, I'm going to take those keys away from you someday. Yeah. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. See, because those Roman soldiers were part of that audience that Jesus was saying, I want you to be fishers of men. And when Mike comes along and he says, hey, you there, 
Kevin, I want you to help me carry my stuff. I'd say, you better believe I will. And you know what I'm going to talk to Mike about for those two miles? Maybe three, maybe four, until he asks me to put my, his stuff down and leave him alone? I'm going to talk to him about my Savior. But that's not how we live our lives, right? We take out that spray paint, mile two. Boy, that would be really inconvenient, right? To go an extra mile. See, in a culture that they lived in, to walk a mile was nothing. Nothing at all. So to go one more mile, you could walk 20 miles in a day. Easily. So to go one mile for someone who's protecting your country, who's causing you to live in security and safety. I wonder how many times those of us who live in this country, we've ever done anything for soldiers or for those who are law enforcement officers. And we think it's a big deal. Well, I, I bought them a cup of coffee at Starbucks. What did that really require, right? If you've done it, if you've even done it, if you've even thought about it, walking up and taking your debit bead pad, and then at the very end, give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, all of these things, Jesus wasn't talking about the person that comes over and says, hey man, I want the uh, keys to your new car. Hey man, um, can I go ahead and take your, your boat out? Um, no, he's talking about small things. He's talking about small things. And the person that maybe you've loaned the chainsaw to, and they kept it and never brought it back, if you continue to do those things, you're being a fool. You're not being a good steward. So the point of all of this, what Jesus is trying to teach us, is that we're easily offended, is that our lives are governed by petty disputes, Minimum complainer doesn't mean that we complain the minimum amount. It means that it takes the minimum amount of stuff to get us to complain. We complain about everything. And that we're blessing holes. See, when God blesses us with something, we always think of it, well, that's for me. God must have given me that car, that house, that property, that job, those kids, that opportunity... That bonus at work, that's for me, right? So it's time for a vacation. It's time for good stuff for me. We're blessing holes. So we already looked at the problem. Jesus tells us what the solution is. The solution is, is that we die to self, we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus. We are truly blessed when we function as God intended, especially, especially, especially in the face of persecution. We've talked about in, this pat in the past, and I want to make sure that every time I preach that people hear the gospel. And the gospel is, is that human beings come into this world separated from God, and we have a need. Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. See, those filthy rags that we bring forth to God and we say, God, look at these great things that I've done. He says that it's filthy rags. And the wages of those filthy rags, our deeds, is death. But, but, 
the good news is we have life in Christ. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the second part of Romans 6.23. So as we think about that, as we think about being disciples of Jesus, the work that He's called us to do, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Is that a reality in our lives? Are we living that out? The second mile... See, that's what Jesus had to say. That's the truth of the gospel. That's scripture. Unfiltered, unwatered down, no files, no edges filed down. And it's something that we have to deal with in our lives. And I just wonder if we truly do what Paul asked us to do to examine our lives. Is that how we're living? When we go forth from this place, maybe even while... We're here. Who are you serving? Who are you serving here? How are you serving here? And when you go forth from here, are you truly loving God and loving others? Are you going the second mile? Father God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here in this place today. That your spirit shows up every time that the word is preached. We thank you for that, God, because as Moses said in Exodus, don't send us from here if your presence doesn't go with us, God. There's nothing that we desire in and of ourselves, even as a church. We don't want the name of poetry to be made famous. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be made famous for your glory. So God, I ask that today, if there's someone who doesn't know you, if there's someone who's maybe been living their life separate from you, that they've turned their back from you, that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin, from that life of foolishness. They would turn to you, that they would be born again, and they would experience life, and they would experience it abundantly.